was once a, a rich man. This guy had lots of money and lived in a, a lovely house in the, the best part of the city, the affluent part of the city, and he wanted for nothing. He was a made man. He'd made his money from, he had a bit of a, a deal going on with the leaders in the city, the, the senior politicians, and the deal was this, that the, all of the citizens in the city were going to be taxed. And this guy would go and he would collect in the taxes for the leaders of the city, but then he'd take a share for himself. And that's how he made his money. And he extorted people. The taxes were just significantly high, high, uh, so high that it made it difficult for normal citizens to live. And, and that's how he made his wealth. But it also made him a person that, that no one liked. People hated him. People hated him firstly because he had grown up with the people that he was taking taxes from. He was one of them, but then he'd now moved into work for, for the man, you know, the people in power. And they hated him as well because they were, they were poorer for him being around. He'd taken their hard and money. One day this guy was going about his business and he hears rumours about a teacher coming into town, a religious teacher. And he hears that this teacher has... A kind of authority that isn't, isn't derived from the politicians, isn't derived from the power people in the city, but his authority has come from God himself. And he's intrigued. And so he stops what he's doing and he, he makes his journey down into the city to try and meet this teacher. Now, this guy, he was a small fella. And he comes to the crowds and he can't see through the crowd. So what he does is he, he runs ahead. He knows in which direction they're going to come and he climbs up a tree, a sycamore tree. And he thinks, if I stay here, I can see, I can see this teacher come. And so he sits in the tree and he waits. And sure enough, the crowds move towards him. And eventually this teacher turns up. And before this rich, small man has a chance to even speak to the teacher, the teacher looks at him and says his name. He's never met him before, but he knows the rich man's name. And he calls the, the man to come down from the tree. And this This religious teacher invites himself to this man's house. And so he goes. And the crowds begin to mumble and grumble. They know what kind of man this rich man is. And and they're thinking, why would this religious teacher, who they know is a good man, want to spend time with this man, who in the city was branded as a sinner? Someone who hated God and someone who hated God's people. Well, this teacher was determined to go to his house. So he goes to his house and they start having a conversation. And at some point in the conversation, the rich man realises who he's talking to. It's Jesus. It's the Son of God. And as they're talking, he begins to be provoked in his heart. This, this religious teacher, this Jesus, is speaking into the into the dark crevices of this man's heart with, with such a perspective and such a discernment that it could only come from God. And this man, Jesus, begins to, to share and to unfold the goodness of who God is. And this rich man is convicted. He's convicted of his sin against God. He's convicted of his sin against the people in the city that he's stolen from. And Jesus, in his mercy, saves him, brings him into his family. 
And the first thing that this rich, small man does is he gives. He looks at Jesus and he says, all of my possessions, I'm going to separate them into two. And I'm going to give half to the poor. That's his first response to the mercy that God, that is who Jesus is. That's his first response to the mercy of God, it's to give. I'm going to give half of everything that I have to the poor. I realise the wrong that I've done. But it isn't just that he gives, he gives generously. I'm going to give half that I have to the poor. And then he says this, and wherever I have defrauded of anyone, I'm going to repay them four times over. It's not just giving, it's generous giving. You know, the, the definition of generosity it is to, is to give more than what is expected. See, all of us like to give, don't we? Like, like there's something within us that likes to give. It, we know that it feels good to do that, but generosity isn't just about giving. It's about seeing that the default line for giving is here and walking over that line. It's going a few steps further. It's going past what is normally expected of us. And as we're working through Romans chapter 12, as we have been these last few weeks, remember that the the church that the Apostle Paul is writing to, this church is beginning to experience the starts of persecution. It is feeling just the, the reality and the tangibility of the evil and brokenness of the world around them, pressing in on them. And if you look down, if you've got it open, Romans chapter 12, you see that Paul's hope at the end of chapter 12 is this. He says, do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. Paul's hope for them is that they're not sucked in to the world around them, that they're not, they're not pulled into the evil world around them, but they overcome evil with their good. And, and notice where he says, overcome evil. He recognises the brokenness of the world that they live in. And it isn't that he just says, okay, folks, you need to tolerate all of that. You need to just survive in the midst of the evilness and the brokenness around it. He doesn't say that, he says, overcome it. Live in such a way that you can conquer the evil around you, that you can triumph the evil around you, that you can overpower it. And we've seen over the last few weeks that his strategy for them to overcome the evil around them is to live in light of the mercy of God. Remember that back, Romans chapter 12, verse 1, to live in light of all of the goodness that God has shown them, to live in light of all of the spectacular grace that God has shown them, to live in light of the mercy that God has shown them. And then as they experience the mercy of God, to reflect that to the world around them, to reflect the distinctive and the powerful aspects of God's mercy to the world around them. And we saw last week that the first way the first part of that strategy the first aspect that they are to reflect the world around them is to be a people who have genuine love and this week we see that that it is to be a people who have genuine generosity who like the man who came down from the tree and just instinctively in response to the mercy of God gave that we would be those type of people who in light of the mercy of God in light of all of the goodness of who God is Our instinctive reaction is to be a people who are genuinely generous. And as we are, we see evil being conquered. So let me read our verses for this afternoon. It's Romans chapter 12, verse 13 to 15. It'll be up on the screen if you haven't got a Bible. This is what we read. 
contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Let me pray before we go further. Father, we thank you so much for your word. Thank you for how you lead us and you teach us and you change us through it. Father, we believe and we acknowledge that these are the words of your son to your people this afternoon, specifically spoken to us into our situation. We believe that they are living and active and sharper than any two-edged sword. And we believe that you want to change us, transform us. So by the power of your spirit, we pray that you would. For the glory of your son. Amen. I mean, folks, just three verses there, but there is a, a truly liberating truth that in, underpins each of those verses that are fundamental for us to understand what it means for us to be a people who overcome evil with genuine generosity. There is a liberating truth that is tucked in those verses, and it's this, that genuine generosity starts with see, seeing that we are all broken and needy people. Genuine generosity starts with seeing that we are all broken and needy people. Just look down at the passage and see how Paul describes the situation of the people he's writing to. In verse 13, they are a needy people. Verse 13, again, they are clearly in need of care. That's the implication of them needing to show hospitality. In verse 14, there are people who are persecuted. They're opposed. In verse 15, like these people experience all of the joys of life, but they also experience the brutal blows of life that cause us to weep. Genuine generosity starts with seeing that we are broken and we are needy. And the Apostle Paul, as he writes this, he is tapping into a reality of life that all of us want to hide and all of us want to mask. But it is truly liberating if we are prepared to admit it. We are broken and we are busted up. And we are people who are needy. And I know some of you, as you've come in through those doors this afternoon, know that to be acutely real and true for you this afternoon. Like you feel the brokenness of just living. You feel the reality of evil and brokenness pressing in on you and, and you're so aware it's so tangible. And maybe you've even come to the place where you're, you're prepared to admit, you know what, I, I need help. Like I can't fix myself. And even if you're not willing to admit that, that is true for all of us. The evil and sin in the world and even in our own hearts presses against us and none of us are strong enough to defeat it and we need help. I was talking to a guy on the lane this week. He's not part of Liberty Church, but we talk often and, and I'm trying to encourage him to come along to Liberty and, and he won't come because he's convinced that he's, he's too broken. And he's looking back at his past and he's telling me the things that he's done and he's saying, I, I wouldn't feel welcome at your church, Neil, because... Because my, my history, the things that I've done, the things that I haven't done, they are too dark. Like I'm ashamed even to tell you some of those things. I am too broken and I'm too messed up to come to your church. And I keep on telling this guy, no, no, this is exactly the place that you need to be because everyone else is the same. 
This is exactly the place that you need to come because all of us identify with what you just said. We are all broken and we are all busted up and we are all messed up. When we give out our invites, inviting people to come to liberty, what does it say on the back? It says, we're not perfect people. We're simply a family of broken sinners holding tightly to Jesus because no one has shown us love more powerfully than he has. That's who we are, liberty, folks. We're not made. We haven't somehow reached perfection. No, we are broken and we are busted up and we are needy. And I'll tell you why it's so liberating to admit that. Firstly, because if you aren't prepared to admit that, you are going to be on an exhausting, relentless pursuit of trying to fix yourself. And I can tell you now, you're never going to get there. Because you can't. You can't fix yourself. And so it's so liberating to come to the point to actually realise, I am broken. We just sung it. I am needy. And as soon as you say those words, you are admitting that you need the help of someone else. And the other reason why it's so liberating is it means that we can throw ourselves onto the only one who can fix us. (laughs) Which if you're part of this Liberty family, you know that person is Jesus, right? And that is exactly what he does. Jesus is in the business of redeeming what is broken. Jesus is in the business of healing what is hurt. Jesus is in the business of bringing order into chaos. And he has been doing that since the beginning of time. Overcoming evil with genuine generosity. It starts with admitting that we are broken and we need the generosity of God. Before we can seek to be people who are generous to each other, we need him. And we need him to move towards us in in mercy. And he promises to do that to all who ask. As we get into the detail of the passage, we're going to see three commands of of how we can be people who are genuinely generous. But what we're going to see is that each one is really a response to how Jesus has been genuinely generous to us. How he has already moved towards us. And how we take that step of of living a life in view of God's mercy and then then reflecting that life to those around us. And And the first thing we see is this in verse 13. Genuine generosity enters into the needs of others. Let me read it again. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Contribute to the needs of the saints. And when it says saints, it means God's people. It means the church. And when we read that, contribute to the needs of the saints, we probably automatically, all of us, have an idea of what Paul's talking about. If a need pops up in the life of the church, we step in and we, and we fulfil that need. So if someone's in financial difficulty... We have a whip round and we we make sure they're okay. If someone needs food, we get food to them and we contribute to the needs of that person. But, But actually the root of that word contribute as it's written there, it goes much deeper than that. It's not just about meeting a need. Actually, that word contribute is more to do with with sharing in or or associating with or or participating in a need. So maybe we could read verse 13 more like this. Enter into the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. And that has a slightly different tone to it, doesn't it, than just seeing a need and meeting it. You see, we can do that. We can see a need and we can step in and fix it. But genuine generosity goes further. Remember, that is what generosity is. It goes over the line of what looks ordinary. It goes beyond what looks like normal types of giving. 
And here, that looks like seeking to participate in or enter into the need of a person. So imagine in the life of our church, imagine, um, imagine someone's taken it and they have children and they, they can't get up to make dinner for the kids and to get them ready for school. And so as a church, we gather around and probably one of the ladies organises a meal rotor. That's what they do, and they do it really well. And, and we say, okay, for two weeks, we're going to make meals for this family, and we're going to take these meals around. And we do that regularly as a church, and it's a wonderful, godly thing that we do. But this, this, folks, goes further. This type of generosity goes further. Entering into their need isn't just about sending help. It's about immersing ourselves in the situation. Not just kind of ticking a box and saying, okay, we've sorted them out. It's actually entering into the brokenness, entering into the need. And you see the connected command in the second half of verse 13. Contribute to the needs of the saints and then seek to show hospitality. Seek to show hospitality. And that little uh, sentence there, it's showing us what it looks like to immerse ourselves in the situation. to, To really meet the need of the person. And again, as we read that command, show hospitality, probably all of us have in our heads an idea of what hospitality is. Having someone round for a meal, taking someone for coffee or going for a walk. But this goes further. It's not that those things are bad, but true, genuine hospitality goes further. Hospitality, if we truly understand it, is what it looks like to enter into the needs of others. But we really need to understand what hospitality is. Hospitality is where we get our word hospital. And if you think of what a hospital is, right? A hospital is a place where people who are sick go to get healed. So let me ask you, is that what is happening when you engage in hospitality? If it's about bringing people or meeting people in a place of need and encouraging them towards a place of healing, is that what is happening when you engage in hospitality? Are you nursing spiritual brokenness? Are you seeking to strengthen people and bind them up with the truths of the gospel? And that might be in the context of a meal. It might be in the context of a cup of coffee or a walk around the park, but it is always an intentional act of seeking to bring spiritual healing into the spiritual brokenness. And let me take a step further. Every time that word hospitality which goes so much deeper than what we think it is. Every time it is used in the New Testament, it is always used in the context of moving towards strangers. So in Hebrews chapter 2, the writer says, seek to show hospitality to strangers. Or maybe the most powerful picture that we have of true, genuine hospitality is the the story of the Good Samaritan. You know that? You have a, a, a Jewish man who was beaten up and left on the roadside, and a Samaritan, a stranger, who steps in and brings about physical healing to this man, but we know it's a picture of our spiritual healing. And he doesn't just do the bare minimum, do we, if we know the story? He goes way beyond what is seen as normal and ordinary and acceptable. He generously enters into the needs of someone who wasn't like him. See, folks, it's easy to go for a coffee with people who are like us, isn't it? It's easy to go for a walk with people who who don't have any spiritual brokenness. 
It's easy to, people have, to have people around our dinner table who we can talk about, you know, just light things and not really get into the, the really deep issues of our brokenness together. That's easy, but that isn't what hospitality is. Hospitality is entering into the needs of others and especially with those who aren't like you. And, and let me just say this. Isn't that exactly what Jesus has done with us? Like Jesus hasn't just seen our need and sent help. He is our very present help in our time of need. Through his life, his death, his resurrection, his true hospitality, he has opened up his eternal home and welcomed us in. Us who are strangers, us who aren't like him. He has welcomed those in who, let's be honest, are difficult people. He has welcomed those in who are complex who are awkward, who are ungrateful, and who are broken. He has entered into our need and he has made us part of his family. That is genuine generosity. And we are to live in light of that and to reflect that and to engage in that type of generosity to those around us. That is genuine generosity and so is this in verse 14, to speak well of others verse 14 let me read it again bless those who persecute you bless and do not curse and this is so powerful to bless someone by the way isn't isn't to like pat them on the back or just even just to say you know bless you to bless someone literally is to is to praise them or to speak well of them so what we see there is speak well of those who persecute you Speak well of them and do not curse them. And didn't we see last week as we were talking about being a people who honour, speaking well of other people, just like honouring other people, that's just not normal for our culture, is it? Like we want to tear people down, like we want to criticise people, we want to find faults in people, but that isn't what the church of Jesus Christ did. We speak well of others. And remember, remember, we do this in a generous way. We do it in ways which go beyond the normal. And Paul shows us exactly how we go beyond the normal and how we speak well of other people. Look at verse 14. What does he say? Bless those who, what does it say? Persecute you. Sin against you. Oppose you. Speak well of those who make your life Now that's interesting, isn't it? Like I'll happily speak well of those who make my life easy. I will happily speak well of those who encourage me and say kind things to me, but but speak well of those who oppose you. Speak well of those who sin against you. Speak well of those who persecute you. Like that's difficult. When someone engages with us in that way, when someone, when someone confronts us and, and they pick on us and they, and they say mean things to us and they're rude to us and they're arrogant to us and they're impatient towards us, when someone maligns us and we know that they're in the wrong, our natural instinct is not to speak well of them. Our natural instinct is, is not to be generous at all. Like it's hard to think well of that person, never mind to speak well. Naturally, in those moments, we focus on the injustice and we get bitter. But the Lord is saying here, speak well of those people. Now, he doesn't say, just brush it under the carpet. Whatever they said, whatever they've done, just 
ignore it or excuse it. Like that's not what he's saying. We're going to see in a couple of weeks that God will judge for every wrong that is done towards his people. Every wrong. Our response is to speak well of them and to entrust the rest to God. And folks, that is hard. You know, a few years ago, I was um, caught up in a disagreement with another church leader. And we were really good friends. And it started as a, as a theological issue and then um, we couldn't resolve it and it, it turned into a personal issue. And there were things that, that were said and things that were um, said to me and said about me that were really hurtful and were wrong and were really painful at the time. And I'll be honest, even today still have left me with scars and, um, and pain. And things got that bad at the time that, that I had to go and see a, another church leader to, to get some counsel and to get some help for how to deal with the situation. And as I sat down with this guy who was helping me out, I, I just um, kind of shared everything and shared how I was feeling and shared how I felt that I was being wronged and how I felt that this guy was out of order for saying what, what he was saying and and, and how he was rude and how he was arrogant and, and just kind of told him everything that I, that I felt about how this guy had wronged me. And, and the guy who was helping me stopped me in my tracks and he said, Neil, I hear what you're saying. And it might well be right. But can I just say this one thing? When you speak of this man to other people, speak well of him. And in the moment, I didn't say this out loud, but in the moment I'm like, do you not hear what I've just said? <laughs> Do you not hear like how much pain he's caused me? Do you not hear how what he said wasn't right? Like he was saying things that weren't true about me. Did I not quite communicate enough like how, how battered I am from what's just happened? But it was the wisest thing that he could have said to me. Because that is exactly what the Lord says to all of us. When we're in that same situation, when we've been wronged, speak well of them. Speak well of those who persecute you. Speak well and do not curse them. And you know why the Lord would say that to us? Because that is exactly the type of generosity that he has shown to us. Like just think, think for a moment what the Father knows about you. Think what our Heavenly Father has seen you do. He knows all of our thoughts, all of our motives, all of our deeds, all of them. He knows all that we have done, all that we're doing, and all that we are going to. Just think about what he has seen and what he is going to see. Think about how we've treated him, how we've turned our backs on him. Think about how we as a sinful people, as sinful individuals, we crucified his son. It was our sin that took Jesus to the cross. And think about even for those of us who've been saved. Even those of us who have, who have seen the mercy of God. Think about how we continue to dishonor our father. How we continue to sin. How we continue to turn our backs on him. Like if anyone has a right to look at us and not to speak well of us, it's our heavenly father, right? But listen to how he speaks of his people. Matthew opened our time in Psalm 16. And the father looks on his children and he says, 
He's my sense. Looks on his people and he looks at us and he says, wow, you are excellent. He looks on his people and we read in Psalm 16, he delights over them. Even though he sees what we've done, even though he sees who we are, he says, these are my excellent ones, the saints in the land in whom I delight. And listen to the words that he uses about his children through scripture. They're my beloved They're my friends. They're my children. And think about Jesus who is seated now at the right hand of the Father. And the Bible tells us he is advocating for us. He is sitting next to the Father and he's saying, Elizabeth, that's your daughter. That's my sister. Matty, that's, Father, that's your son. He's my brother. And together as a trinity, they're delighting over their people. They're proud of their people. They're loving over their people. They're showering grace over their people. They're constantly moving blessing towards their people. Think about how the Father and the Son and the Spirit speak over us. That is genuine generosity, folks, because they know better than anyone else who we are and what we've done and what we will do. And yet they still speak well of us. So this week, when your friend or your colleague or your husband, or your wife, or your children, or your parents. When they say those things, that are rude, that are hurtful, that are painful. Think of the generous words that the Trinity is speaking over you. And speak well of them. Can you see how responding like that is overcoming evil with good? And lastly, in verse 15, we see that genuine generosity shares the joys and the sorrows of others. Rejoice with those who rejoice. And weep with those who weep. I love this verse. It's so pastoral. It's so simple, isn't it? Like it's such a simple command. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. But I just want to make just a really simple observation. It is impossible to obey that command unless you are close to those who are around you. You cannot obey that command. You cannot rejoice with those who rejoice and share in the sorrows of those who are sorrowful. If you remain in your own private world, you just can't do that. Genuine generosity has us living with such a closeness and such an intimacy that my joys are your joys. My sorrows, my, my pains that cause me to weep, they are your pains and your sorrows. So let me ask us a few questions. As we look to be a people who rejoice with those who rejoice, do you know what has given your brothers and sisters in their, this church family joy at the moment? Do you know what they're celebrating? Are you close enough to see the evidences of grace in their life? And if the answer is no, then a really easy way to rectify that is to ask. Just to get alongside someone and say, what's giving you joy right now? What are you celebrating in your life right now? And to listen and to celebrate with them and to rejoice with them. 
What about sorrow? What about weeping with those who weep? Well, folks, do you know where there is sorrow in this family? Do you know where tears have been shed this week? I can tell you there's been a lot. Are you close enough to your brothers and sisters in this church family to know their struggles? Are you close enough to them that they can lean on you as they struggle through pain and difficulty? And this isn't just about acknowledging or sending a card, and that might be helpful, but genuine generosity goes beyond what is normal, okay? It enters in and it shares those experiences with them. got a dear friend at the moment who's experiencing some deep difficulties in his marriage. It's causing him immense amounts of pain and struggle and difficulty. And I don't know how many tears have been shed over that marriage. But I've watched as Christian brothers and sisters have gathered around him and sought to do what this command says to share in his sorrow there's one guy who's coming alongside him and he's asked this guy whether he can share in his burden you know in Galatians 6 where the apostle Paul says carry one of his burdens and this guy's come alongside him and said I don't even know whether this is possible but I want to ask the father whether I can just take some of that pain off you and literally just carry a bit for you so it's not as heavy for you. And other people in the church have committed to get up early every day and get on their knees and pray for this marriage. There's one guy who sets his alarm at 12 o'clock every day. And no matter what he's doing, he stops and prays. And there's other people in the church who have come together and they're fasting every week. And they've committed to keep fasting every week until the sorrow is lifted. It's deliberate, it's intentional, and it's generous. Folks, that is only possible if we are close to those around us. If we are willing to walk alongside one another. And let me say this, if that kind of intensity and that kind of intimacy coming alongside someone and, and entering into their struggle and seeking to share their burden, if you look at that and you think, no, 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 that's too much for me. Like I haven't got the time to engage in those ways. I haven't got the capacity to, to love someone like that. Like I've got too much going on in my own life. I, I haven't got the time. I haven't got the resources. I have, whatever it is, if that is your posture, and think about Jesus as, how Jesus has entered into your life. And then we think. Think about how Jesus in, in the incarnation, he didn't, he didn't stay in the peace and the order of, of heaven, but he came and he dwelt amongst us. And he pursued us. And he, he entered into our lives. And he came right into the thick of our lives to, to share in our joy and to carry our sorrows. And just see, as you think about Jesus, see how generous he is when he moves towards us. See that he meets us with sacrificial love, like he holds nothing back. 
He comes right into the brokenness of our lives. And listen, he isn't content. He isn't content with even just weeping with us. We're just weeping over our sorrows. He carries them for us. He bears the the heaviest and the deepest of our sorrows. Our spiritual grief. Our spiritual brokenness. He takes that on himself. As he suffers and dies on the cross, he bears the weight of our sin and our shame and he dies for us. And the Bible says the reason he does that is because of the joy that was set before him. Because of the joy that he wanted his people to enjoy in. He wanted us to enjoy participating in the family of God. Coming in and receiving the hospitality of a father who knows who we are. And yet welcomes us with open arms to come and live with him. And enjoy him and be blessed by him for all eternity. Jesus as he hangs on the cross sees that joy before him and endures it for us. And carries our spiritual soul. We have an opportunity to respond with joy right now. We're going to take this meal together. The guys are going to come up. We're going to sing together. As we take this meal, we get to share in that joy. We get to share in the real joy that for God's people, your spiritual sickness and your eternal sorrows were carried by Jesus on the cross and this is a powerful moment as we take this meal folks as we take this bread and we share this juice together we are asking the spirit to speak to our souls to restore to us the joy of our salvation you know when David says that in the Psalms to speak to our souls and to remind us of the mercy of God that has that has been directed towards us So as we break this bread, as we come and we take it and as we take the cup together, let's ask that we will be reminded of the genuine generosity that Christ has shown us. And let us ask that, that he would feed us by faith, by the power of his spirit as we meditate on the truth of what he has done for us, that he would feed and strengthen our faith So that we wouldn't just be people who receive God's mercy and receive that generosity, but we would be people who share it with those around us and who are genuinely generous in how we do that. So I'm going to give thanks for the bread. Give thanks for the cup. We're going to stand and we're going to sing together. And as we sing, we're going to meditate on the glorious truth that the Lord Jesus Christ has dealt with our spiritual sins. He has carried our sorrows. He has made a way for us to be welcomed in to the home of our Father. We get to sing that truth together, but we also get to enjoy this meal as God's family. This is a meal for God's family. If you're a Christian, if you've put your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ for salvation, then the table is open. Jesus welcomes you. He wants you to come. He wants you to come and share this meal and to hold on to the bread and hold on to the cup and to remember all that he has done for you. And then to eat the bread and to drink the juice. And there's nothing, there's nothing, nothing kind of special in, in those elements as such, but the Holy Spirit does promise to do a work in his people to help us 
to lift our eyes to see the glory of who Jesus is. So if that's you, if you put your faith in Jesus, please come as we're singing, take the bread, take a cup, bring it back to your seat. Just take it where you are and worship as we sing and then we'll carry on responding in worship together. As we're singing as well, as we're taking that meal, a couple of us will be at the back and if you want someone to pray with you, if you want to just, you know, there's particular difficulty, particular, particular brokenness that you're struggling with at the moment, we want to put these verses into action and come alongside you and serve you and bless you and encourage you. So there'll be a few of us at the back if you want to just come and pray with us, you're more than welcome to do that. If you're not a Christian, we just say, just see what goes on here. Observe, watch, maybe take the time to pray and reflect. But let me just pray your thanks for this meal and then we'll stand together and we will worship. Father, we thank you for who you are. We thank you for the reminder this afternoon that you're for us. You are steadfastly for your people. Thank you that you delight in us, even though you know us. Thank you that we are recipients of your mercy and your love and your grace and you continually pour out your blessing over us. Thank you that that you speak well of us despite knowing who we are. And so, Father, help us as as we take this meal, as we share this bread together, as we share this juice together to remember what it costs to buy that relationship, what it costs to bring us into your family. Lift our eyes and stare our hearts for your son, Jesus. Help us to remember that without him, we are dead in our sins. We are those over whom your judgment still stands, but in him, we are your saints. We are the excellent ones in whom you delight. So Jesus, we thank you for this bread. We thank you for how it calls to to our minds your broken body we thank you for for this juice and how it reminds us of your blood that was shed for the forgiveness of our sins thank you that you hold those sins not against us anymore because you have paid for every single one help us to be the people that you've called us to be help us to remember the generosity which has been shown to us and to seek to show that same generosity to those around us we can't do that without you so we ask that your spirit would strengthen us and help us and Jesus it's in your name that we pray